Hello everyone and welcome to Disaster Peace Publishing House. I'm Dev Solovey. And I am Joan Metz. And this is a show about the wild west of weird internet literature. Dramatic, dramatic readings, readings included. included. Now Dev, you were a little concerned when we decided to name this episode that people wouldn't get it. So I actually showed up in French made outfit to try and bridge the gap a little bit. But it's only now that I'm realizing we're an audio medium. So maybe you'd want to explain a little bit what the purpose of this episode is. Yeah, so the purpose of this episode is really to follow up on some pretty like exciting developments uh, just in the show. Um, first of all, it might be good to go over uh, the change in the intro. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about that. So Joan and I had, uh, I guess to spoil it a little bit, we've we've received outreach from some of the authors that we've covered on this show. And um, I got to thinking, particularly after the uh, the John Brown Isekai episode, I got to thinking, you know what? The tagline, good, bad, but mostly bad, doesn't work anymore because we've actually covered a lot of good stuff. When we talk about what we actually consider bad, we actually just kind of focus on types of stories that we think are shitty and they're not really that fun to talk about. So we, we just kind of started gravitating more towards stuff we found more interesting than yeah. purposefully bad. And it just seems kind of wrong to cry and bill our show like that. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Plus, like, especially a lot of the later stuff we've gone over before the break has been genuinely good, you know, in, in terms of the, the concept, in terms of how well it's crafted. I would say that about the John Brown Isekai, Gummy Bears, of course, you know, even like Rick and Morty Ruin Adam was actually pretty clever, I thought. The Rick and Morty Ruin Adam is still my favorite thing because of the domino effect it had. But the domino effect uh, of actually getting to have a little bit of dialogue with some of the people we've covered here is cooler to me, honestly. Yeah. Um, biggest of which, in my mind, is the sad Blart fa fall cop follow-up. Yeah. Because... I, I, we jokingly said, like, oh, it's unfinished, we're going to finish it, and I'll let you get into it. Yeah, yeah, so um, this is the, the one author who kind of found us organically. The author of Sad Blart Fall Cop found the episode of the podcast, they commented, and they're like, yo, I wrote that. They reached out to me on Tumblr as well, and so, you know, we chatted on Discord a little bit, and they, it, it, as it turns out, they had a lot more plans for Sad Blart Fall Cop. They ended up... Uh, quitting after 16 chapters because it didn't really get much traction and they were kind of tired of creating something and not really getting any feedback on it so it was they were telling me it was pleasant to you know hear us reviewing it and talking about it so I, I had this chat with them and i read a little bit further into sad blart fall cop i'm not all the way through it just yet but i, I plan on getting there and um yeah one of the things i did tell them too was kind of the backstory behind that episode all of us had really had like a pretty bad day that day and reading that plus the other two we did for that episode really cheered us up a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thank you, author of Sad Blart Fall Cop. We, we really appreciate your efforts. That as well as specifically, we'll, we'll get into the specifics of like the way that the John uh, Brown Isekai creator fed back to us. But I, I feel like when we do make our little criticisms and our little pokes and jabs here and there, but I, I, I want to... I, I really think that we should reframe, like, the, the context of how we're talking about this stuff. Because lumping all of the weird and interesting niche stuff that's, like, cool and rough around the edges, but mostly well-executed, with 
bad internet media just hand quotes end quote air quotes there yeah just seems really unfair uh especially since like i mean we're laughing we're having a great time with a lot of this stuff because they're they're trying to be funny on purpose yeah or or they do something like insanely like out there in terms of like ideas that just wouldn't be tolerated by like more mainstream projects stuff that would get cut out on the editing room floor that isn't necessarily terrible just like more avant-garde in its execution yeah Yeah, i always think of the segment with the john barnisakai with watanabe generico we were we were giggling through that but because those online manosphere types are just parodies of themselves really and the way it ends with his skull just getting bashed in by a rock that's (laughs) objectively good it's incredible (laughs) it's really good yeah uh so so this isn't us like pulling our punches or whatever or like backing off now that we have the actual eyeballs of the people we're like covering on the show we're just like more trying to recontextual like properly contextualize uh what we're doing here because it's i don't i don't know if it's either we didn't do a great job of doing that to begin with or we've just kind of changed how we do things a little since we started yeah we've changed there's there's been sort of a mission shift because we started off definitely covering bad stuff I of Argon was bad. SpongeBob Rage and Depression was bad. I think regarding Twilight Sparkle was bad ideologically. Uh, so like, you know, <laughs> we started off with some pretty bad stuff, but we moved away from that. I, I think it was once you introduced Tales Gets Trolled and then, you know, we sort of moved on from there that we were uh, looking into stuff. The, the moment did. you realized that Tales Gets Trolled was actually good, I think is when the light bulb came Yeah. On. Well, that was. And the in- show really came into. Yeah, I think, I think it was when we covered chapter two that I was like, oh, this yeah. is actually pretty decent. So, um, t- TLDR, I guess. Mission shift. Mission shift. <laughs> uh, a lot of what we want to do here is definitely more in the spirit of creating art and, you know, sharing that with people. But we're also human beings with our own, like, reactions and biases and opinions yeah. and stuff. And we can't hold that back. Yeah, uh, we are in no way trying to tear somebody down. We're not trying to farm someone else's like hard work, creative things for yeah. our own purposes. We, th- it's just like the only one, the only the, types the, of people we're going to be taking shots at are the people who already have huge audiences. Exactly. Yeah, like Jimmy Buffett. He's famous. He's regret, not going to, you know. I I don't remember the Jimmy Buffett episode very well. <laughs> Neither do I. I was lost um, in the lithium sauce. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we should well. reveal that. We should reveal that too. Like uh, that's that episode sucks and is bad because yeah. neither of, I don't know what combination of things I was on, but I also wasn't like physically present that much. Either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the reason for the uh, the interchange and also for the the direction change yeah. as far as the show goes. Also, um, just gonna get this right off the top here. Just again before we get into the meat of the episode, I'm trans of gender and that's why i go by a different name now mm-hmm. i know we we were kind of like we we've mentioned it um i think i should just be explicit about that because i feel like i a lot of my opinions on stuff are going to be colored through those lens for <laughs> lack of a better term and i don't want anyone to think that i'm just some guy right talking yeah. about that you know I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trans yeah it's exactly. fine it's all cool yeah speaking of that by the way you just released a comic which i absolutely uh, we'll, adore we'll get we'll get to that at the end oh okay teaser for the end whatever teaser for the end it's okay it's fine <laughs> 
It's, right. it's not even fucking close to anywhere near as good as uh, Cabbage Preacher. <laughs> uh, Cabbage Preacher's uh, magnum opus. And yeah. I'm saying that unironically. Like, yeah, same here. That's definitely one of the better ones we've covered. I think that's like, you know, if not the number one, then definitely top three. Because um, it's just like, it, it has all the like... It has hallmarks of good storytelling where it's a unique concept that subverts the genre expectations, the genre conventions, and it does so to make a um, commentary on higher societal ideas and we'll, concepts. We'll, we'll get to like our specific feelings right. on that yes. when we get to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we we have uh, we're we're not going to do what we normally do, where we just have a piece of media in front of us and we're trying to get through it and have our reactions. We actually came. Well, I say we, you came prepared with an itinerary <laughs> notes and uh, some transcripts, and we're going to be a little more methodical about the rest of the episode moving forward. Yeah, we got to be a little more professional about it, TLDR. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the name change, by the way, um, I might as well announce this right now. We're doing a special event for September, Sonic Timber. We're going to be reading all of Sonic High School. It's going to be awesome. I will say we've already recorded halfway through it by now. So some of the intros, Jonah's going to be introducing themselves as their previous name. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it, it was a nickname to begin with. So yeah. it's not like a dead name or anything. It's just, yeah. I don't go, I'm, hi, I'm Joan. Nice to meet yeah. y'all. Yeah, just say that that's the reason for that uh, yeah. continuity yeah. error, so to speak. Oh, also regarding Sonic content, just a quick note. Sonic Stasia, that's going to remain Patreon exclusive. It's gener- genuinely too rowdy for YouTube or any other platform. <laughs> So, if you want, the, if you if you want to hear Joan slowly start dissociating as we read more and more of it, then subscribe on Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had war flashbacks there for a minute. Well, uh, the title of the episode is War Flashbacks to the Cum Puddle. So, yeah, <laughs> well, I think I'm I'm properly traumatized. About Sonic sex content, and that's something this girl never thought that they'd say. <laughs> anyway, um, on to I want to talk a little bit more about Sad Blart because I, you know, I had this discussion with the creator about they actually had more plans for Sad Blart Fall Cop. They had intended to go past sixteen chapters, and the way they explained it is they wanted it to be kind of like a Batman story, where which is an excellent concept, by the way. Where he kind of like, it's, you know, it starts out humorous, but then over time you watch his kind of not handling trauma well and depressive ideation. And then he sort of finds a way to come out of it through getting back into his, his job. From, from what I understood anyway, there was also going to be an arc or, or some sort of purpose towards the shadow man, who's apparently not Paul Blart. It's somebody else. It's based on a bit from the Till Death Do Us Blart podcast, which I haven't listened to in millennia. But yeah, that was going to be a different character, presumably some kind of adversary for him to defeat, which I was I was really excited about. If you want to support this person, there is a Tumblr for Paul, uh, Sad Blart Fall Cop. Um, go read it. Go comment on it. It's great. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts about that? No, I, I, I just got very excited when they kind of just confirmed the the feelers that we were kind of feeling about it yeah yeah and originally it had been intended to be a serious thing but i think because paul blart was a meme at the time they were writing it it started out very humorous 
Um, and then it was intended to slowly sort of devolve into like something serious where, you know, the reader is supposed to just love Paul Blart and be rooting for him, but kind of see, you know, also the cycle of depression happening where he's the moment he's he's given an out, he's given an ounce of hope, something happens and like a segue cycles. You know, you, you, you know it, it's kind of interesting. I, I, I feel like I commented on this, too. Like this author is purposefully invoking the accidental actual emotional feeling you get while watching paul bar yeah which is yeah the, the world's so, just being cruel to him for no reason <laughs> yeah so like doing that on purpose to like tell a serious story like genuinely based uh cool as hell i love that type of conceptual stuff it was it was well written i don't know how much more of it will get on into it on the show specifically yeah i don't know just because the episodes are pretty short um and also like th- there's there might not be enough meat on the bones for us to really dive into it. And I like, did. what else can we say other than like, yep, we get what this uh, author is trying to do with their own little project. Yeah. So uh, and yeah, go go it, read it and support it. Yeah, it's good. Go read it. Yeah. I did want to talk about, though, at least one of the chapters, just because I feel like, A, it seems like the turning point for the humor, and B, it's also a perfect metaphor for what this person is trying to do. Beware, there's going to be some talk of puking, but... It, it, it deals with, like, um, when I talked about the cycle of a segue as, like, a cycle of depression, it's kind of the same metaphor where Paul is, is um, he, he has, like, food sickness, and he's puking in the bathroom, and he finally gets done, and he thinks it's over, and then he has a hypoglycemia attack, and he collapses on the floor, and the only available out that he sees oh, no. is a lollipop on the floor. He eats that, and he starts puking again, and so it's very gross. But it's also like a pretty, perfect. It's pretty like shot for shot, like just a thing that happens in Paul Blart. Uh, well, it's also just like I mean, I haven't seen the movies, but like it is like a perfect metaphor of like what the actual cycle is and what this person's trying to achieve. Yeah, t- takes what is like a comedic bit in the movie and then actually reevaluating it as the like really sad, fucked up, horrible thing that it is, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's good. It's yeah, it's uh, great. again, go read it. It's awesome. Yeah, so we're, we're going to take a little break just for the sake of continuity's sake, and when we come back, we're going to get into the real meat of the episode, which is uh, Cabbage Preacher giving his corrections on yeah, coverage yeah. of the John Brown Isakai. Yeah, we are, in fact, in touch with the Cabbage Preacher. All right, we'll be right back. Not to brag or anything. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely bragging. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and welcome back from the break. So we're getting into now one of the, the most exciting developments we've had so far, which is opening a dialogue with the Cabbage Preacher, the author of the John Brown Isekai. So uh, I'll, I'll give some context for it. The, the John Brown Isekai, because it's so objectively good, it, it hung on my mind for a long time, and I was really able to sit on it and think about it. And that's kind of what got me to realize we're sh- shifting directions. But I also just, I loved it so much, unironically, that I actually subscribed to his Patreon. I, you know, he deserved my money, I felt. And then once I did that, I'm thinking, you know, well, he can Google my name and find the podcast. And also, like, I ought to have just alerted him to this anyhow, because he's a very small-time indie creator. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, I love your content. Just so you know, I do this podcast. We covered, you know, it on our show. We don't have a large audience. We're mostly doing this for fun. And he was like, yeah, wow, that's great. Yeah, send me a link to the podcast. And, you know, once you're done, um, he's very, very friendly about it. And once we posted the episode, he very much took it in stride. 
I did also tell him to, because like I didn't know who John Brown was before jumping into the John Brown isekai. I had very little knowledge about it, and I had only found it two days before. I told him, like, hey, if you have any corrections, if we got stuff wrong, feel free to let me know. And he was kind enough to do so. He listened to the episode, and he wrote down the timestamps, too, which was really, really helpful. Um, and he provided some like just really awesome insight that I, uh, I, I wanted to dig into for the meat and bones of this episode. So there were just a couple of quick like continuity corrections and, and comments that he made. For example, I had mentioned something about the reference to slimes only getting popular 127 years later. That was in fact an Easter egg related to Dragon Quest. He mentioned he has watched Sword Art Online too, and I think the John Brown Isekai shows that he has criticisms to make about those kinds of things and the kind of people it attracts. Um, he did also mention that the cat girls aren't the main focus of the story, uh, and the Kiyota, the girl in the first chapter, is not actually a cat girl. We made some assumptions based on uh, the little bit of yeah. art that we saw. Yeah, and the, the cover, too, has a cat girl on it, so I think that's why we made that assumption. Yeah. Uh, the cover is outstanding, by the way. I remember for, like, weeks afterward, you were reposting it on Twitter. Yeah, because it's, it's great. Because <laughs> it rules, actually. The it's, cover, it's really great. No, the cover is what made me want to read it, because it was actually one of my friends posted it um, in my Discord server, and he only posted the cover. He didn't post a link to it. I was like, okay, dude, I have to read this, right? And so I, I found it, and I ended up reading it. And it's great. I, I, I've read a couple of chapters ahead, too, uh, and, and it gets pretty engaging. There was also a part where I said something about, like, John Brown is right by a road. He could just go into a town instead of just eating slimes and hiding in a cave. What I got wrong is that it's not a road. It's a desire path. I mixed that up. Not all of those lead to civilization. And also, one of the things he pointed out, John Brown is a convicted criminal. <laughs> Going right into a town might not be palatable, considering he doesn't understand isekai rules. <laughs> it's what the Cabbage Preacher said. Uh, their words. <laughs> also, in Chapter 3... Uh, he does actually address that of finding a town, so I should have just been patient. <laughs> that one's on me. Um, so those are just kind of the minor continuity stuff that uh, he, he pointed out to us. So I wanted to kind of get that out of the way. Because yeah. again, we had only found it very recently. We're kind of going into it blind. Uh, and also a lot of... I, I just want to get ahead of it too. Uh, a lot of the feedback that we received from him has made me really want to reconsider the type of language that I use on the show. Because um, as a mentally ill person uh -huh. <laughs> who uses hyperbole a lot, I realize that I say things are like crazy or insane, and I use that interchangeably uh, to describe behavior that I find either eccentric or unacceptable, and that's that's not okay. Moving forward, I'm gonna be a little, I'm gonna be way more uh, attentive to that. Because I think my cavalierness with that language it invited a lot of very good critique as well as some more insights onto what the guy was really like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just want to like own up to that yeah. myself uh, mm. right out the gate because um, I don't even want to get defensive. Just like, yeah, yeah, no, just I'm I agree with everything that he says and I, yeah. I want to take that. Like, and genuinely internalize that. Yeah, while we're, you know, owning up to things, I might as well own up as well. So I, I think the way I had talked about the quality of the prose was kind of discouraging to the Cabbage Preacher in a, in a way that, like, I didn't mean it to be. I don't think I stressed it enough that I think the comment that I said was the prose is not great. 
that doesn't mean bad. I, I do think it's like well written, but also like prose is supposed to tell the story effectively, and that's exactly what this prose does. So it, it's not really like a comment that was warranted. I, I remember him saying that like he's not actually a native English speaker, uh, and he said the last one is probably obvious due to my shit tier prose. It's not shit tier. It is not. I want to make that very clear. And from now on, like any any criticisms about prose, I'm just going to put it in a box, throw it away. It's not it's not what we're yeah. going to talk about. One here. of the things that we want to celebrate on this show moving forward is the stark difference in voice that people have. Because yeah. that's that's honestly what makes a writer. Yeah. And when we were reading it, I initially thought that he was going for a methodical sort of like descriptive tone on on purpose. And it, as as we've come to, we will come to learn yeah. in just a moment that was intentional. Yeah, that was very um, much intentional. Um, I don't know if I said that on the show, but like that's the impression that I got. I felt like yeah. he was. I felt like he was actually trying to invoke the sort of feeling, not only of like this character like going through this mental math, but also like just like the first couple of scenes you would have in an isekai anyway. That's kind of yeah. about like figuring out the logistics of stuff. There was a really good line in there where it was something like you know, John Brown now having gone through the classic isekai ritual of some, some or other. Yeah, so that, he's very aware, really very yeah. aware of the genre yeah. conventions. Yeah. I, I will. Honestly, I, ne- I never would have thought that he was, uh, well, I mean, this is maybe, you know, showing my own biases towards people who speak multiple languages, but I never would have thought that he that he was if he hadn't said anything no yeah i didn't either and it's because his grammar is actually pretty flawless here's the thing i okay he's he's doing a creative project in the second language that he learned like we that in and of itself i'm fucking giving him props props yeah yeah yeah. the fact that he is so thorough and cool and creative about this like yeah and like i want to give some some context too i have a degree in linguistics and this got past me i also have a minor in french and had to write essays in french that shit's hard he wrote whole novelettes in a second i also just want to say like i can't stop talking about the john brown isekai i know there's hi cavern preacher i know you're listening (laughs) we we know you're listening hey buddy uh really enjoy your work i tell a lot of people about it on our uh, like genuinely i think it's fucking cool and fun and creative and uh yeah yeah I think that's the the next thing I wanted to and get like, into. And genuinely engaging. Yeah, too. like it's it's a good fucking story, dude. Good job. Yeah, that's that's the next thing I wanted to get into. Actually, is um, so it, uh, on the uh, on the episode, I had I had said something like this guy reads a lot of Discworld because it reminded me a lot of Terry Pratchett. Cabbage Preacher's response to that, his his actual words, he says. I haven't actually read Discworld, nor any other works of Terry Pratchett. I'm happy to be compared to such a great writer of fantasy, and I do always wonder how I manage to invoke the image of an author I've never read. Which, the the way, when I made that comparison, it was I was reading Hogfather at the time uh, by Terry Pratchett, and Terry Pratchett does the exact same thing that the John Brown Isekai is. You know, in that particular book, he makes a commentary about faith from a secular humanist standpoint, using the premise of the Grim Reaper pretending to be Santa Claus, right? In the same fashion, the John Brown Isekai is making a commentary about abolitionism in a modern context, very high-level, uh, grounded-in-realism concepts, using the premise of John Brown being dropped in an Isekai. Very unexpected. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think that's why, and also like the pacing of the humor, you know, uh, it, it felt very similar. And so I think that's why I ended up drawing that comparison. Yeah, I, I think that's what immediately drew us to it is like how when I say absurd, I don't mean that negative. I mean, like, just like it's an absurd concept. Yeah. Uh, how absurd the concept was thoroughly explored earnestly. 
And yeah. that's that's the kind of art I genuinely fucking love. Yeah, yeah, no, um, same here. That being that being said, uh, John Brown was a real guy that we made some assumptions about that we were corrected on. Yes, um, yeah. So I want to I want to preface this by saying it um, the it also hung on my mind because it did provoke me to think about the biases and how we in not only in the United States, but also in a former Confederate state, Arizona, mm-hmm. how we learn about John Brown. I know when, when I was in, in school, they never taught us about John Brown. And it, I, I realized that like the reason for that is like former Confederate state, they don't want to teach about abolitionists. But even in a union state, I can imagine them not wanting to teach about John Brown because he was one man who started a, a, a movement. He's a, you know, a culture he was in the cultural zeitgeist because he symbolized abolitionism for a long time the u.s being an empire in order to not have their citizens get angry at all the atrocities they commit they have to flood the education with a lot of nationalism and propaganda some of which you don't even realize until you're much older i'm 28 and i only realized it so you know they would they wouldn't want to teach so much about john brown or might want to paint him as an outlier or like a crazy person because they don't want people thinking about citizens uprising for a revolution they want to teach about the union crushing the confederacy because it shows the power of the state yeah um, and, and i i also want to again not getting defensive about my you know we'll we'll get we'll get to that because yeah. uh p- part of the way that it's it's done is uh i remember this from my education we want to talk about him in middle school he was like a paragraph or something and they emphasized the fact that he was a religious fundamentalist but by painting that as like kind of a they they painted it and, and used the sort of biases that we as eighth grade children had uh, to yeah. paint that in a negative light rather than put it in its proper historical context and yeah. because of that that lesson we were taught was like yeah he was uh he was essentially a mentally unwell person who had a lot of weird beliefs about god that made him do this crazy thing but it it was all in the name of uh maybe ending slavery so i guess it wasn't that bad yeah and you and know, just kind of left that out there and moved on with a lessons about states rights you know like <laughs> yeah yeah no that's... um so while my, my cavalierness about the language like that's on me i'm owning up to the fact that like i i shouldn't have said that this person was mentally unwell putting those sorts of like internal internal motivating factors into the mouth of a dead guy was pretty (laughs) fucked up uh and as a mentally uh unwell person who cares about that kind of stuff like yeah i'm sorry about that everybody yeah but i i think and this is why i was really happy to get the cabbage preacher's perspective on john brown because now knowing that this is a person who isn't from the united states they have a more objective perspective on them they've done a lot of research that we haven't um, one of the corrections he made was in relation to the the way that I was char- characterizing. It. Yeah, so I I wrote down the the quotes of like stuff that we had said that he was responding to the specific timestamps. Mm-hmm. One of the things Joan said was he was an unstable, crazy person who was violent and made people in his life uncomfortable. The cabbage preacher responds. I'd argue that John Brown was quite sane in medical terms. His religious zeal does seem a bit kooky to us modern folk, but most of his contemporaries thought that he was insane due to the thinking all races are equal thing, not the religious zealousy thing. I think that denying his lucidity kind of undermines his abolitionist actions, which is exactly what John was just talking about. 
he's he's right on the money there you know yeah yeah and again he's done more research so i'm deferring yeah. to his knowledge on this this one um he he marked the timestamp down for it and i remembered i remembered the moment that i said it and i thought like that word choice was so bad but i couldn't think of anything else in the moment and so i just kind of hoped nobody would notice but he noticed immediately <laughs> um he's i was talking about the like so- sorry if if i am a little awkward about this english is my second language anyway here's how you use this term wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i know right i know um, uh, i i love this guy i, I just know. i just want to say <laughs> yeah no and he's got he's just got really excellent points on this stuff um, so when I, I had said about like John Brown kind of like maybe glorifying himself or being happy to die for the cause of like uh, something about the sadomasochism of I'll martyr myself, I don't give a shit. That word sadomasochism, I wish I hadn't said it because that was like the bad word choice. John replied in, in better words saying it's worth saying that he wanted to be at the center of it. Cabbage Preacher, uh, their correction was... Um, it's more of a, quote, dying worthily like some sort of Christian saint, unquote, that John Brown was happy about, not some weird feeling of sadomasochism, though his understanding of Christianity does involve plenty of sadism and masochism from the modern point of view, uh, which I thought was a very clever response. <laughs> so continuing on that thread, uh, one of the things I had said was um, John Brown doesn't have much of a white savior complex about it, referring to the text. I said, I don't know what the real John Brown was like in that regard, but this characterization of John Brown is not like a, I want to be your savior kind of thing. It's just a no, you shouldn't be in chains. Like just slavery is wrong in concept. So the cabbage preacher had a lot to say about this. There were some really valuable takes in here. One of the things he said was John Brown, the real one, didn't have much of a savior complex. To be more accurate, he was too much of a God-fearing Christian that even seeing himself as a savior would be a sin to him. So he never stated anything like that openly. In terms of his views on race, John Brown was surprisingly progressive for his time. Not all abolitionists were anti-racist. There were even those who were abolitionists for racist reasons, like the get those N-words back to Africa sort of abolitionism did exist. He says, for more on that topic, look up the history of Liberia. To put it in simple terms, without getting into his fundamentalist views of evangelical Christianity, he saw all of humanity as being equal. Of course, he also saw all of humanity as being imperfect sinners who were 99% all going to hell for their sins, including potentially Brown himself, due to his, again, fundamentalist understanding of Christianity. So he's recontextualizing John Brown's beliefs about all people being equal, but through his very Christian lens uh, that I think kind of gets lost in a modern context. Yeah. Um, Smarter people than us, too, would have a lot to say about religious fundamentalist abolitionists who were definitely extremists and radicals in their time, but also an incredibly important part of that history. And Denying the uh, the faith component of it is is absolutely a disservice that we did. Yeah, sure. yeah. One of the um, uh, we 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 do not fuck with Christianity at all. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, our biases show through the lens of making fun of that shit a lot. Um, but through, because of that, we got those blind spots up. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and one of the things that I think was most important that the cabbage preacher said was the radical position that Brown took was racial equality uh and because of that his view of christianity was conservative even according to his contemporaries that seemed all the more radical so I, I think it's really interesting just to go back to our misconceptions on john brown the figure come from like the thing that is actually cool about him is that that radical thing that he did years ago is considered just 
normal by today's standards. Yeah. However, the fact that his contemporaries thought that that was the the insane thing is used to justify his lucid acts of rebellion mm-hmm. for his faith and personal beliefs as a crazy thing to yeah. therefore have just the idea of having that sort of action be taken as a ins- like the crazy thing actually these corrections have definitely made me think a lot about how yeah how reframing those types of things even like slightly completely changes the narrative yeah there's a- another correction that he made that ties into that we were talking about how it's like a mythical version of john brown john brown the guy was a little bit like mad max just completely unhinged cabbage preacher said I'd say the opposite. The completely insane, mad, unhinged John Brown is more fiction compared to the calmer John Brown seen here in his piece. This is why I do my best to avoid the insane John Brown that readers might expect to be as accurate as possible to the real man. So that's that's kind of his framework going into writing this and interpreting John Brown, which we, you see like John Brown's process for solving problems in the fiction is very methodical. Um, and, you know, again, it still subverts the, um, the genre conventions while operating within them. Uh, also, also, calling Mad Max insane is also a little bad on my part. I, Mad Max is like that sort of like calculated, I'm going to be able to like survive sort of shit. I, I was seeing them as, as similar characters in terms of just, they are both people who did justified violence to survive in a survival story. Mm-hmm. That is really what I meant to communicate, but failed spectacularly at doing so. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm not defending myself. I'm merely clarifying uh, yeah. so that that correction is appreciated. I, I do also, there's just some like great comments that he made in here that I do want to get into. There were, there were a couple of things that we kind of hit the nail on the head. So, for example, yeah, uh, the segment with Watanabe Generico, which that was just excellent. Joan had said, I'm imagining this is just Jordan Peterson calling himself Watanabe Generico. The Cabbage Preacher's response to that was, yeah, Watanabe Generico was based on the average follower of the so-called online manosphere. His name comes from a meme that I posted promoting the John Brown Isekai. So. And I, I think we talked about that on the show, too, is that one uh, artist. Yeah, 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 who, who yeah. you were familiar with. One of the other yeah. things Jones said uh, was, you wonder if it's a commentary not so much on the genre of fiction that he finds himself in, but more at the types of people who would want to identify with that type of protagonist, Watanabe Generico. And Cabbage Preacher just said, yep, you are right. <laughs> Pretty much. Or ye are right, I should say. He's, he's in character a lot of the time, and I absolutely love that. Um, oh, yeah. So the, speaking of the, um, the excerpt of... Uh, watanabe generico i'm just gonna read it again just so everyone has like context for it because it's golden so the excerpt was then without a chance to either scream or shout anything watanabe suddenly collapsed he hit his head on the cold hard ground with great force that ended his pitiful life in another world watanabe generico had failed to notice the fact that john brown had been slowly sneaking up behind him a novice mistake to not be aware of any wild abolitionists while adventuring (laughs) It's so good. And I think Joan's response to that was, that is the greatest line in any piece of fiction ever. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. The Cabbage Preacher's response was, oh, just you wait. There are some banger quotes in the following episodes, which is so choice. It's so choice. 
No, I'm excited. And again, I've read ahead and there are some banger quotes in there. There was also one part in the segment with Watanabe Generico where, for the most part, these um, online Manosphere guys, they're kind of parodies of themselves in a way. And I think just the fact that he directly described this kind of man is what made it funny. But there was a part at the end that was really, and I tried to deliver the line with as much strength as I could, but I don't know if I quite got it across. It was something like, uh, he believed and the people he listened to told him, you know, so, so what, what he's commenting on there is not just like these online manosphere guys are ridiculous. It's that they're also actively being manipulated by these speakers mm-hmm. because it's super profitable. And that's something he brings up later when we were talking about slavery. One of the things that Joan had mentioned, I swear to God that that the next thing that comes out isn't going to be horrifying and cancelable. usually when someone says that it's followed by something horrible i promise you it's not yeah so the the thing i was bringing up as regards bringing up profit joan had said it was an active conversation about an enormous evil that people obviously knew was being inflicted for no other reason than cruelty cabbage preachers comment on this is one of my favorites he says cruelty and most crucial of all profit Slavery was and is pretty profitable for slave owners. As a modern example, you can take a look at Qatar's construction of the stadium for the 2022 World Cup, which I'd assume was a pretty profitable affair. And yes, it was. And mm-hmm. yes, they did use Kafala to construct that, which mm-hmm. is pretty upsetting. So, okay, so I guess it was some real horrifying shit. Just Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I want to bring up is like, this one was so great. So Joan said at one point, I want this guy to write John Brown versus the Moody's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cabbage Preacher says, I don't want to be assassinated by Moody's, so no. <laughs> Which, again, choice. Uh, he says, maybe. They do have a lot of guns. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, he says, he says, maybe if I get rich and get in a position where I'm able to protect myself from the Mooney assassin order. Or whatever it is they have to kill obscure dissenting web novel writers. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I like this also, like, tying it back to the comparison to Terry Pratchett, he also has a very similar sense of humor, because this seems like the kind of joke that Terry Pratchett would make. Or is that just me? Yeah. Look, Cabbage Preacher, I'm not saying, like, you have to read Terry Pratchett or whatever, but, like, dude, there's... Basically, we're saying you're, you're, very, you're very funny and humble and clever. That's yeah. what we mean when we say that. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I hope you take it as a compliment. Yeah. L- uh, last thing, well, there is a couple of things I wanted to get into, but last thing as regards, like, the uh, interpretation of John Brown. Uh, we were talking about, like, I think God transporting John Brown to this <laughs> yeah. isekai, and Joan had said something like, the implication this story has is that John Brown freeing the cat girls is more important than ending American slavery. It's funny to think about. Just, I'm imagining God going and taking John Brown's soul and going, not yet, you are needed elsewhere. Go, the anime women need you. <laughs> Which is a good bit. Um, and Cabbage Preacher followed it up with something even better. So first he, he corrected us. He said, John Brown is the one that thinks God has sent him. The narration is just conveying his thoughts. Uh, Joan is like hemorrhaging over here. As for the truth, well, that's a couple or so hundred chapters away. <laughs> Which is such good foreshadowing. Like, that's so choice. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, and I, I, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see how that, uh, how that pans out. So, um, I mean, the, the last thing I did want to, like, 
go into is we we um we talked about the artwork a little bit and we compared it to like tales gets trolled um and so we got the backstory on that that first drawing in the uh the the first episode which is the one that i they i hooked joan on that i got yeah. uh, them in on <laughs> <laughs> so Joan had said we were talking about Tales Gets Trolled Joan had said Tales Gets Trolled is first and foremost a visual thing I feel like Laserbot has a little more patience with seeing his vision come to life Cabbage Tracer's response to this was this is a pretty old drawing almost a year old that I did in the dead of night <laughs> which oh relatable I've done that uh, some preceding chapters should have better artwork not much better he said uh, somewhat better nonetheless I've been working on my art for four years now, uh, though I haven't had any formal education. The artwork in the John Brown Isekai up until now is pretty rushed due to the time constraints I have to work with. Um, he said, if you want an example of my artwork that was done without having to be rushed, take a look at the cover of Ordinary Made Extraordinary Realm, which is another series that he writes. He, write, he writes a couple of different um, uh, different series. So uh, if you want to look at more of his artwork, you know, check it out. <laughs> it is good, honestly. <laughs> like, not going to lie. So that's just some some neat backstory I found kind of endearing. That's how you know he's a true artist. Yeah, 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 <laughs> pretty much. I also want um, in regards like uh, plugging his other series. Uh, we had read his bio on Royal Road, which uh, okay, you had read his bio on Royal. Road. Yeah, okay. I I read it to you, and you said it's grandiose in a way I almost believed, and I said, yeah, you should. <laughs> That was like actually what was said in the in the podcast, and so Cabbage Preacher clarified on that. He said, "If you're wondering, uh, quote, autocrat of all Hanazites, protector of Estland and Lute of Olivia, refers to the places in the setting that I used for the errant Otherworlder. Those are some of the titles held by His Majestic Holiness Grand Preacher Theodore Five Brassicus of Lahanazi, a character in the story, which that's a great name too. Yeah, Brassicus <laughs> of Lahanazi, Brassicus of Lahanazi. Oh." Yeah, it's kind of great. Well, we got we got blessings from Brassicus Prime, remember? That's right, I forgot. Yeah, at the end of it, he said, uh, Anyways, thank you so much for your valuable feedback. It's rare that an author gets to see live footage of their readers going through their work. I wish, I wish you the best of luck in thine journey. Cheerios, and may Brassicus Prime bless with you with a great harvest. Which is very endearing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I can't, I can't express how excited I was to get in touch with the cabbage preacher yeah. and really have this like discussion with them because it was, um, you know, it was, it was just, it was very, uh, enlightening. And it, I think it's a sign of uh, good writing too, that it caused me to re-examine the things that I had learned and the biases I'd, I'd grown up with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Th- uh, thank you cabbage preacher for both making some really fucking great art that I'm going to keep enjoying as long as you <laughs> yeah. keep making it. I know. As, as well as like actually genuinely doing it to, uh, to help us learn a little more about our history in a way that our school system failed us. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, what I talked about there is like half the reason why there's a stereotype that Americans are stupid. It's because they teach us bullshit in schools. And I find out about this when I'm older and I get angry about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I I've been really, robbed. I got really fucking angry when, when I was in uh, in high school and we finally got 
like a fucking third act dystopian novel reveal talked about the trail of teals earnestly for the first time yeah yeah you know no, there um and even then that's a really whitewashed version whitewashed yeah, version of what actually happened for sure and they still to this day like deify andrew johnson i think is or was it andrew jackson, jackson? andrew jackson who probably who our that. nation's most uh scientifically provable evil president yeah yeah uh, of many there, there uh, are mathematical equations for creating supervillains that place uh andrew jackson and hitler along the same axis i swear to god yeah yeah there's a lot of u.s presidents who are like that i don't think we've had any Most. good ones really no, no, no uh well, most of the early ones did a lot of fun genocides. Fun for them, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even then, like, Ugh. I think the only one who's done something good is Lincoln, and even then he ended I mean, slavery we're, we're, for problematic reasons. Yeah, we were, we were talking earlier about how there's a, an enormous abolitionist contingent that were racist, and... Lincoln was one Lincoln of them. Lincoln was one of them, yeah. Yeah, he, he believed we is, should send them all back to Africa. This is shit that we have to take the onus upon ourselves as adults to learn, because... Yeah. We're so interested in deifying and creating a, a a a national legend that, I mean, that's just America to a T. We live out here in the Southwest where that's the most, yeah, where, where that's like the most obvious. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's why we we've been able to see through it. Just like we've been taught, like cowboy stories are all horseshit our entire life. <laughs> yeah. We actually live here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's a little bit of skepticism that we kind of get from being in the thick of all that shit. Yeah, like being able to actually see the kind of consequences that mm-hmm. the. I mean, we we should talk about. It. We live in Arizona, which yeah. was like a confederate state and it was a confederate state this is also one of the things that i uh was taught incorrectly about the civil war because arizona was not actually a state at the time that the civil war happened it was a territory Mm -hmm. um the reason they joined the confederacy is because the confederacy offered them statehood now i was taught in school that arizona didn't actually care all that much about slavery they were just upset about taxation without representation that's not true the reason uh, statehood was desired is because there were businessmen from the Deep South who wanted to expand into Arizona, which meant that they wanted slavery here. And the citizens, they... I mean, that's, that, that's the tale of every single territory in that time, too, out in the yeah, wild Yeah, yeah. The circumstances are, like, different, of course, but, like, more or less, it's exactly the same thing. It's yeah. Like every territory was, like, a battle, a literal battleground, yeah. unofficially. And the way they got... political battleground. And the way they got people who were, like, you know, maybe not, like, big businessmen in on it is because, A, they were saying that that was going to bring in a lot of money, because it would, slavery was profitable, but B, uh, there were a lot of conflicts with the natives out here, uh, which, of course there were, they didn't want the settlers on their land, but... Which is our term for, we were murdering the shit out of them. Yeah. As as a nation, we were doing a genocide, yeah, and it sucked, and it was bad. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely sucked, and so that was the other, like, really bad reason. They wanted statehood, because then the Union would actually send some kind of forces out there to reinforce them with, the, with these attacks. Uh, that's also the reason, by the way, the, the particular way that the West was settled is the reason why guns are such a big thing in um, the culture, because especially out in these territories the union wasn't sending anybody out here so you like if you wanted to live you did need to have a gun uh there was no kind of law enforcement or anything like that and we we still we still see the echoes of that today by like i mean we have motherfuckers like joe arpaio you know who thought he was living in his own personal cowboy movie so we have this this perfect 
like combination of all these people moved out here because they wanted some quick money. They hated black people. They hated natives. They liked guns, and they were going to shoot anybody who told them yeah. no. So you'd you have posse's literally form up like gangs yeah and just be inducted by local sheriffs and stuff yeah it's why uh bounty hunters were also invented because they didn't have enough like law enforcement out here to do anything about that so the truth of the uh the truth of the american west uh just goes to show how much of our modern police system has come from just the desire for like slavery and impugnment over natives here. Yeah. It's, uh, which by the way, starts all the way back in the British empire. So if uh, all the British people want to keep making jokes about guns in our schools, point them towards yourselves. Cause you're the reason for that. Yep. Uh, that's, I'm sorry. I want to put Europe on blast. They act all high and mighty, but they're the reason for shit being terrible here. So it's just, uh, it, you know, I, I want to act high and mighty, too, because I'm Irish, and I ain't got no skin in this fucking game. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Let's go! Yeah, no, it's it's so interesting. My, my family was busy, like, starving to death and getting ready to have their cultural identities erased before they came in through New York, so I am fucking blame-free as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, my mom's family, they came to the U.S. because they were escaping the Nazis, who were slowly wiping out their culture in uh, uh, northern Frisian territory. There's only about 3,000 speakers of the language left. Like, it's really insidious, all of the colonialism that European nations have done, and it leads to stuff like this. So, sorry, that's that's me venting about how much I hate Europeans. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're... Uh, TLDR, we're, we're, the, we're the byproduct of a bunch of motherfuckers with their own skin in the game trying to convince us that their side's the best and yeah uh, it's annoying it's it's really fucking funny that the way we had all this stuff all these disillusioned like one of the dominoes and being disillusioned and doing our own research about it is this fucking silly piece of uh fiction that this guy is writing yeah which is uh, it's great um, unironically good um sorry sorry i i felt the need to i feel like we should have like gone on that rant anyway because like it's i feel like now we're properly contextualizing this podcast yeah and also you know? by by sharing that I'm, I'm hoping that we prompt some other people to do some research as well the way yeah the cabbage prefer prompted us you know? we like talking about this stuff and we like that there's always more of a scratch below the surface and yeah. We've always been really fun, had a lot of fun, and taken a lot of interest in going down these rabbit holes. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I, I think a lot of why we started this show is because we oftentimes found that the people who liked talking about these types of things liked to punch down more than they liked to actually engage with the material. So I'm hoping this episode... Uh, clears that up. Clears that up. Put, like, man... It's really going to sound disingenuous having this episode come out and then have, like, Sonic High School just be us, like, tearing into to, that shit. I was about but, to bring that up. We're um, not... That, that's the thing, like, I've been editing those episodes slowly. We don't actually tear into it that much. Okay. Yeah, we... You know, there is some stuff that's genuinely baffling to anybody who reads it in there. But I do want to make the point, like, ahead of time going into Sonic High School, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and we're reading it and we're laughing because we genuinely enjoy it. It's written by a 12-year-old. It's it's a child's story that a child wrote. And it's, it's fun for me it's to read funny. those things despite how bizarre they can get because it's good to see children expressing if themselves. If a nine-year-old made a 300-page comic book 
Of course you're gonna sit down and read that shit. Are you in, are you insane? I Why know. wouldn't you? There's and I, I mentioned this I think in the first episode, but I'm gonna reiterate it. It's because this is something that's important to me as somebody who just really genuinely hates cringe culture. Is like there's some kind of switch that flips. It's like if a nine year old writes a story and it's bad, it's cute. But if a, a, a teenager, especially a teenage girl, um, writes a story and it's badly written, all of a sudden it's cringe and gets dragged on the internet. And that's not fair. So we're trying to find this middle ground where we, we want to approach this shit on its own level and kind of like have our own fun with it. But in a way that's like, hey, we're all having fun. We all have our natural reactions to art with, our, you know, author intent or whatever being kind of taken off the table. Yeah. But at the same time, like... We don't want anyone to take themselves too seriously. We want people to, like, be able to have fun along with us. We want us to feel like we're laughing with stuff and not at it more often than not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that... I don't know. I I feel like we're on the right track. The fact that these authors feel like they had a good time engaging with our stuff. More than um, feeling like we were coming for their throats. Yeah, because um, we, we definitely did have a good time. Sad Blart was great. Uh, the John Brown Isekai was great. There's There's been a lot of other stuff we've read who even the authors haven't gotten in touch with us, but it still had an impact on us, right? Yeah, so, uh, and I think we just want... I think we want to keep that energy going. We want this to, to be a, hey guys, let's enjoy some art together and not a look at this weird shit that we found. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the end, we're just a couple of idiots from arizona and we're just having fun with this stuff and we hope you do too yeah exactly um Uh, yeah i i feel like that's all we need to say this episode we've been talking about our own show for about an hour yeah yeah i mean again just to to reiterate you know sonic timbers coming up please stick in for that one it's going to be a lot of fun we've been having a blast with it and i'm certain you will too I'm probably going to start posting on September 1st. It's going to be more than one episode per week, too, because there's 25 chapters of Sonic High School. Uh, and it's been, you know, that's that's more than we can cover in just four weeks. So pretty, pretty big event. Um, and we're super excited for it. Do you have any plugs? I do have a plug. I mentioned earlier I'm trans and I made a comic about it. Uh, and now it's all your problem. You should go read it. <laughs> it's really good. I adore it. Absolutely. It's it's always good to see coming out stories. It provides a lot of insight into the trans experience. So please go download it. Link in the description. It's it's free to download on my itch.io, but there's also donate. You can donate, and you know you know uh, the girl girl needs her HRT. Could yeah. it be helpful if you resonate with the story at all? Yeah, yeah, to to help cover the cost of transition, and also the cost of printing it too. Yeah, actually, all the money I made so far is going towards printing it, and it, it was a couple months long affair. Yeah, and, and it, I worked really hard on it. I don't like I don't like asking people for money, but please buy it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's genuinely good. It's worth the money. Um, you did also start streaming, from what I understand. I I I've dibbled. Uh, I, I, I have some more hardware problems to work out. You're letting me borrow the mic once or twice, so my audio quality will be okay. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me, twitch.tv slash jonetunes. Uh, you can follow me on, uh, itch.io for my comic, uh, jonetunes.itch.io, jonetunes with an S. My Twitch is jonetunes with a Z. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I will be streaming. I made a bunch of custom assets. I'm going to be playing some Game Boy Advance games, stream some art, maybe mm-hmm. play a little bit of keyboard. Yeah, yeah fo- follow me on Twitch. Uh, so Joan's link tree is going to be in the description. You can check all that out. Uh, my link tree is in there as well. I've got a lot of creative projects that I'm working on right now. I've started posting flash fiction on Royal Road. I'm working on a, a collaboration with the creator of the webtoon Bounties with Teeth. Uh, we're doing a project called Culling the Faithful. Updates are slow, but they're coming out. The art is phenomenal. Uh, please go check it out. He's a, he's a great artist. There's also, of course, my webcomic. I do want to promote that, as I always do. Devil Went Down to Vegas. You can find it on Webtoon as well uh, and in my link tree. And I think that's about all the plugs that I had to do. So uh, we'll see you on the next episode. And we have to come up with a new tagline for the end. All right. <laughs> Yee! Oh! oh no fuck you i'm still doing that until you come up with something better okay <laughs> maybe that's the whole time maybe that's the bit fuck, fuck you come up with something better <laughs> you're the one who came up with the last tag you're right uh okay uh let's see um bye <laughs>